My name is Dallas Elliott, and you're listening to Pro Lacrosse Talk. Hans Driver. Snyder with scores! Now it's Brock Cadell score! Hands off for Rabel, switches hands and scores! Kylie Elmiller showing off those shifty skills. Right off the bat, there's Lyle Thompson! Trying to pick his spot and stopped by Elliott. That was textbook Elliott. Elliott sets low, gives them the high corner, and then just sweeps up with the acrobatic save. Welcome to Season 2 of the Pro Lacrosse Talk Podcast, the voice of Pro Lacrosse. I'm Hutton, he's Adam, and together we're bringing you interviews from all your favorite players and coaches, as well as news and analysis from all four professional lacrosse leagues. We are lucky enough to have arguably the best goalie of all time in Dallas Elliott on the show today. In 18 seasons, Dallas was a pro nine times, four-time champion, and two-time championship MVP. Retired from the game as the NL's all-time leader in saves. He's a member of the Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Fame and an NL Hall of Famer as well. Dallas, welcome to the show. Hey, guys. Thank you for having me on. I'm a longtime listener. Big fan. No, we appreciate it. Adam has been itching to get you on for a while. Myself, too, but you are one of Adam's childhood idols. So <laughs> having you on has been awesome. Uh, we're really, really excited to kind of talk to you about your career. I know Adam's excited more than anyone. So uh, with that, though, we'll kind of get started where you – grew up in Vancouver. Um, talk to us a little bit about how you first got into the game of lacrosse and what made you first get in cage. Well, you know, being from Canada, uh, Vancouver, British Columbia, to be exact, my father got me into ice hockey at an early age. And uh, when the hockey season was over, he signed me up for, for lacrosse. And in Canada, when you say lacrosse or mention lacrosse, that means indoor. So from the age of six, on, I was playing ice hockey in the winter and then indoor box across in the summer. Mm-hmm. That's great. And talking about uh, the box game a little bit more, uh, you played for Burnaby in juniors, and you obviously were one of the top goalies uh, in juniors there, top goalie of the year, considered the, the best player when uh, you did end up getting picked first overall in a WLA draft. Uh, it was a pretty unique situation, right? It was an expansion year, so you got to – get right onto the field, uh, get right into the cage uh, during your WLA career. So talk about how, what that was like for your development. Yeah, you know, that's a, that's a very good question, a good point to make, because a, a lot of goaltenders in their earlier years, you know, they'll join a team and they'll be someone senior that's a starter. Mm-hmm. So they have to sit in the bench and watch games and chomp at the bit and look for their opportunity to play. And, it, you know, puts a young goalie under a lot of pressure. Uh, when I joined the men's league senior A ranks, because we were an expansion team, I was the number one draft pick. So I was a starter. I, I was just thrown right into the fire. And it was a great way to great way to join the league. You know, there was we had a backup goalie, but you know, I played every game and uh, got blasted in there, outshot every game and and it taught me how to to be strong, you know, and, and just focus on the next shot. Yeah. And, you know, you're, you're considered one of the most athletic goalies of all time. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I, I was a big Wings fan and a goalie myself. So I always, whenever we would go to games, I would always ask my dad to buy tickets right behind the cage so I could see how you read and anticipated shots and, like, went post to post. I didn't care about most of the other game, the rest of the game going on, to be honest with you. I was just watching cage. Where did you really develop your your style and and the way you played? There was a a goalie that uh, 
I used to go to watch. Like you said, you you used to come to the Wings games and sat behind in my net. Mm-hmm. I used to watch the Senior A uh, League play when I was just a kid, and the goalie that I admired most because of his play was Dave Evans, who was the Philadelphia Wings coach for a number of years. So when Dave when Dave played goal, he threw everything he had at the shot. He uh, he would leave his feet. Uh, anything that would, went into his stick was thrown up into the stands. I mean, he was very, very exciting to watch as a young boy. You know, and I watched, I watched him play against other teams and other goalies, and I didn't, honestly, I couldn't tell you who played in that for any of the other teams. It was just all about watching Dave and his flamboyant style, style of play. Awesome. And, you know, let's talk about you jumping to the pros yourself. You joined the MILL um, and joined the Wings in 91. How did you feel that the Philadelphia Wings kind of embraced you when you did come to town? Well, when I did uh, join the team, it was uh, in 91. And Mm. they had just won the championship, both, I guess, in 89 and 90. Mm -hmm. uh, They were looking looking to 3P, I believe. And uh, the year I joined the MILL, they made the nets wider. They made them six inches wider than what I grew up playing in. Uh, so it was a bit of a, a technical adjustment mm-hmm. and mental adjustment for me to, to step into the pros and have these guys, these snipers, they could rip corners on the run, you know, pin corners, uh, the width of a ball. So joining the, joining the wings with them coming off a championship and with them making the nets bigger, I, I was feeling the heat a little bit. You know, I had to perform, and I had to improve my game. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, I'm sure it was – you don't really see that much in any sport where they make that big of a technical uh, adjustment to, you know, the actual physical nets. Um, you know, you've kind of seen it in the past, but um, I'm sure that was a big adjustment for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when you think of it, I mean, there are a lot of posts throughout the course of a game. Uh, you know, the width, three inches is the width of a ball. On, on So six inches is a ball on each side of you. And that, not only that, but visually, the shooter sees more net, so he's more likely to take that shot. Mm-hmm. Sure, no, that makes complete sense. And you just you put up on, we'll talk a little bit more about your YouTube channel later, but you did just post that uh, game where the, the Wings had to play with hockey nets. Uh, for a game that was that at least that your cage didn't get moved to a hockey net right <laughs> no that's right I remember uh because Dave recruited me you know I was a free agent he signed me for Philly and I remember my first couple of days that, that I was in Philadelphia staying in an apartment with him and he you know I said well what about the wider nets is this going to be a bit of a change he said ah just play your game here here's a game that we played last year and he threw in the the VHS tape, there was my other idol uh, playing goal, Dwight Metke, who, who was very acrobatic and very athletic and uh, played in a hockey net. And really the game was close and it was, yeah. it was exciting. So if I, if I figured if he could play in a hockey net, surely I can adjust my game enough <laughs> to play in a larger goal. Too funny. And uh, so it, uh, we're curious about the kind of transition from MILL to NLL, right? Um, you were there for, for the transition. Talk about what that was like from a player's perspective a little bit. You know, we, we've heard from some of the people that ran the, those leagues at the time. And um, talk about what it was like to, 
for, for you as a player at that time? Oh, you know, uh, the game, see, I'm, remember, I'm strictly from a goaltender's perspective. So the way I see things is a lot different than what, what most people on the field face. Mm -hmm. I thought that uh, the first year there wasn't really much of a difference as far as the game was concerned because we had a lot of the same guys playing for the same teams. Uh, it was a tougher or, or sorry, a tighter called game. I felt or it seemed like there were more penalties uh, than there were in the MILL uh, because initially the NLL, you know, people think that it was a seamless transition. It really wasn't. I don't know if you know the backstory, uh, what exactly happened, but you know, the MILL was owned by two owners mm -hmm. and they ran the show. So they, they owned Buffalo, Philly, they owned every market. And, Players wanted to make a little more money, sure. and uh, they approached the owners, the, the two original owners, about, hey, let's give us a raise. We need a raise. You've been around forever. We want expansion. You know, and they kept, you know, throwing guys a bone. Okay, we'll do this. We'll do that. Sure. And they never did. They didn't want to. They didn't want to expand at the rate the players wanted to. Mm -hmm. So, uh, knowing full well that the two original owners wouldn't give the players a pay raise. The Players Association went to all the different markets and found ownership groups, ownership groups in the different markets. So, so when they approached the old owners, hey, listen, this is what we like. Uh, the old owners said, of course not. We can't do that for you. So they just started a brand new league right out from under the, the Philly owners. Now, because, because those two owners had Philly and the new group, the NLL, didn't have a team in Philly, they gave the old ownership group the Philly franchise. And I think they may have owned another you know part of another team but but all of the all of the uh, licensing all of the television everything that they had with the old m-i-l-l -L went out the window mm -hmm. so starting from scratch you know i remember playing in those m-i-l-l -L games and we, we were getting fan letters from across north america you know because of the espn two yeah. broadcasts and such so uh, the game i found the game itself uh, was a little tighter called. Uh, there wasn't as much rough stuff, uh, but the game itself was pretty much the same the first couple of years. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, Hutton's uncle uh, actually played uh, on the practice squad for the Baltimore Thunder, uh, and he tells stories. You talk about rough and tumble in the MILL. He he would come home, he said, and just would get the um, it beat out of him. You know, he would. Yeah. He said they. He said when they first like he first went to a practice, and you know they were you, they weren't making uh, much back then uh, when that the league was first started or whatever in the early '90s, and um, I guess around the time when you you joined. But uh, he was saying that they taught him cross check, cross check, cross check on his arm, and then they they would get to like take a shot or whatever. But they just had people wailing on that practice because um, that's how it was though in the the games, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting too. I, I really liked what you talked about with the, a lot of people think it was like a seamless transition from MILL to NLL, but, um, you know, as we know, there was a little bit more to that story, um, before, you know, the NLL was able to kind of rise from the original MILL. So it's interesting to hear, hear that perspective, at least from a player particularly. Yeah. You know, it, uh, ultimate, obviously now it's, uh, you know, they have a great commissioner and it's growing, but at that time it was, they took a few steps backward. It was, it was, uh, it was 
more of an adjustment dealing with without any television and, and no fanfare. Mm -hmm. it, it was a step or two backwards at the time. But, you know, the Players Association, they needed to protect the players. So all of these, <laughs> the boarding checks, the free-for-alls that you used to see in these old games, man, guys mm -hmm. flying into the boards head first, you know, and it would just be a push call from behind, possession. You know, the, the Players Association had association had to step in and say this has to be a major penalty you, you're mm -hmm. going to kill some you know we've been lucky no one has been really hurt from from the way the game has been played so we need to tighten up the penalty calls now, that was a big part of it too yeah no it's very interesting but uh like you said you know from a gameplay standpoint wasn't too much of an adjustment because uh you really took the nlo by storm um despite you know some skeptics around the league you guys won your third title in 98 how was it like, you know, winning that third championship for yourself? That was, a, that was a, it's funny, of, of the lot, that was probably the one that would be the sweetest because mm -hmm. we had, you know, in the early 90s for a bit there, we had both Paul and Gary Gate, you know, and, and the majority of our, the rest of our team were, were stud American players. But then we lost Paul to Rochester. Mm -hmm. And we just had Gary, and it was Gary against Paul in our 95 championship. You know, Tom Marichek was as good as either of those guys and was just an amazing player as well. So when, when the new league formed, they put the team in Baltimore and the ownership group there had a fair amount of money that they were throwing around and, and they ended up acquiring Gary from us, Gary Gate. And, you know, when our ownership group at the time figured, oh, no, we lost Gary. That's it. Our team, we're out the door. It's, it's just going to be a year of rebuilding. And the rest of us were... To, to put it lightly, a little pissed off, you know, it was more yeah. just a one-man team. And uh, so and as it goes, we ended up playing Gary's team, the Baltimore Thunder. They were the highest-scoring team in the league that season. So we played them for the championship, and it was a best-of-three series, and we beat them two straight. So it was, uh, it was a great feeling, you know, with it being a brand-new league, you know, the NLL. And uh, without Gary Gate, we ended up winning the championship. I think we opened a lot of uh, a lot of eyes for sure. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely opened my eyes. I was I was born in '91, so I was about seven at the time. And uh, Matt Oglesby and Greg Trainer actually came to my dad's school right after you guys won and brought the trophy with me. And I have a picture. I'm about as tall as the first ever NLL trophy, but I, I have that <laughs> in my office here. So that's that's where my Wings fandom started. Yeah, we were great. I mean, the thing about those early uh, 90s teams in the MILL, we were very tight. We were all, I mean, I was an import, but the majority of the guys were local. We mm -hmm. didn't, management didn't fly anyone in. You know, we were just, we were a core group of guys from Philly, and we were successful. And that was, that was a great thing. Mm -hmm. Great thing. And, and, you know, so many teams now, they, players don't know each other, or they're all buddies, and they fly in and out all the time. And you don't get that tight-knit group that we had in, in the mid-90s. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of going off that 98 championship, another uh, fantastic uh, time for you in the wings was that 2001 championship uh, where, you, where you upset uh, Toronto in that big victory. We got to talk to Mark Millen uh, a few months ago about his experience uh, and, and that big win as well. So talk a little bit. Uh, about that win up in Toronto? The, the, the win itself, you know, I, uh, when I played, I didn't realize it, but I, I thrive 
being in the underdog position. Yep. So when we're faced uh, with the arduous task of having to go into Toronto, we had never won a game there before. Mm -hmm. And looking at our uh, previous record against them, the, the, in uh, 99 and then in 2000, we went there in the semifinals for the playoffs and they beat us both times quite handily. Uh, so we, when we ended up going up there in 2001, it was, it was a, we had, it was a, <laughs> it was, we had our backs against the wall. No one gave us a snowball's chance. The local papers were, you know, they were printing of this is going to be the parade route. They're going to be the first team to three-peat. And when we got into Toronto, we we're looking at the newspaper clippings and we, we studied uh, their team very well. Our coach, Tony Resch, was an awesome coach. And I can't say enough about him. We scouted them very well, and we had a game plan uh, how to shoot against their goalie. And we, we executed exceedingly well. And, and guys like Mark Millen, man, he was running circles around their defenders. He's, I mean, they were, they were a big, tough defensive team. And in the past, they were able to bully us and push us around in the field. And this game, they didn't. We pushed back and we yeah. pushed hard. And I mean, the final score, we beat them by one goal, but that was no indication of the play. I mean, we controlled the, the entire game. They scored a goal the second or two left in the clock. Yeah. Yeah. We shouldn't have even had that one. I threw the ball away thinking, you know, I'd throw the ball deep into their end, but my sure. stick hooked and, and one of their guys picked up a pass and threw it to an open man on the crease. But yeah, we beat him handily and it was Absolutely. it was a great feeling. <laughs> yeah, you're ready to crown the rock that you know the third champion and a uh, third straight championship and um yeah you guys shut them up and you know watching that game, rewatching that game I, I should say because you know I, I, I didn't watch it when it happened, but I watched it recently um because Adam had seen it and he told me you gotta watch it. It's on Dallas's uh YouTube page. And it's the Toronto announcers and they're just like, they go from like saying you have no chance to just utter disbelief in that game. It's just, it's incredible. Yeah, don't get me started on those Toronto announcers, man. They're brutal. And I, I mean, I understand you need to pump up your own team and pump mm -hmm. those tires, but they were another motivating factor. Those knuckleheads listening to them, you know, their playoff games and how great they are and they're, they're the best in this department. And then, oh, my God, it was really nice. <laughs> when the final horn went, you couldn't hear – you could hear a pin drop, you know. We had a group of fans up in the rafters, I think, at one end, and it was something else silencing their sold-out Air Canada Center. That was a great feeling. Yeah, it took the air right out of Air Canada, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> and uh, it, remind me, you also – uh, that was a great year for you. You also won the Man Cup with Coquitlam that in 2001. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. We uh, the funny thing is too, the star players on our Coquitlam team were two of the Toronto Rock star players, or three of them. We had three guys that played for the Rock. Hmm. So after beating the Rock in the NL Championship, <laughs> they were my teammates for summer ball <laughs> in the Man Cup. Colin Doyle, who's a Toronto Rock star, you know, yeah. he'll be he'll be in the Hall of Fame too. He ended up scoring the game-winning goal against his Toronto Rock goalie, who was in that for Brampton under a minute to go. Wow. Yeah, 
that, that was, that was a great summer. That's awesome. And then you, you made the move to Portland uh, with the Lumberjacks expansion franchise. Uh, what were those three seasons like? They, uh, the first season was fantastic. Uh, Angela was a phenomenal owner. She treated everyone. It was a first class organization and uh, we did, we did exceedingly well, you know, being an expansion team at the time, I guess our schedule wasn't as, as difficult as some of the other teams. So we ended up winning our division and we hosted a playoff game, uh, but we, we lost in the playoffs. But then the next year, uh, because we finished at the top of our division, we had a very difficult schedule, a lot of back-to-back games against tough teams. And uh, <laughs> we didn't, we didn't do very well in the standings, mm-hmm. but uh, personally as a goalie, it was a, a, a pretty good year for me. But, you know, that doesn't mean anything if you're losing. Mm-hmm. Well, that third season was, it was a very difficult uh, season uh, for me being, being the old guy, feeling older, you know, my aches and pains uh, weren't going away. And our coach at the time, who has great success in the NLL, no matter where he goes, he had his routine and, you know, he liked to practice the night before a game. He'd have guys at the arena till 11 o'clock at night and then six or seven o'clock wake up call the next morning for a shoot around the day of the game, which to me, you know, I'm in my 40s. I needed my rest. I needed my breakfast. I needed all of that stuff. So it was work. My last year uh, with the Lumberjacks was definitely work for me. Yeah. After all those years of success, right, it's tough to change a routine like that. We, we have, goalies have our routines, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's you don't want to be a prima donna and you'd say, hey, I'm not doing this. But if I – maybe if I had – uh, been a little more firm in my position, you know, talk to him up front and then maybe things would have been differently, but no, I, uh, yeah, the, the late night practices and early morning shoot arounds. I just, uh, it was funny. Our first year, I'd let me backpedal a bit. Uh, our first year, I think we won a couple games and lost, we lost three or four in a row. And I, you know, I talked to uh, some of the younger leaders on the team. Brody Merrill was one of them. Mm-hmm. We discussed this. Hey, what is up with these late night practices? The shoot rounds. We're not going to get any better by having two practices right before our game. Mm-hmm. So he approached the coach, the captains talked to the coach and say, listen, let's scratch our late night shoot arounds and let's just go the morning of with the light, light tossing. And sure enough, we, uh, we scratched the late night shoot arounds. I think we went on a five or six game winning streak ended up hosting a home playoff game. And what does a coach do the night before our home playoff game? As a late night shoot around. <laughs> oh, so man. our guys didn't have legs and uh, we lost. I, I don't ever like blaming anyone or anything. I mean, it's, it's a team effort. But had we stuck with our uh, recipe of success, we would have probably emerged uh, victorious in that playoff round. Gotcha. Yeah. Do what, do what got you there. Right. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, yeah. You finished out a great career in Portland and then you were obviously inducted in, like we had mentioned earlier in the Canadian lacrosse hall of fame, the NLL hall of fame, and you had, you now have 35 hanging in the rafters in Philly. So talk a little bit about kind of the culmination of your career and right. What, what those honors meant to you, especially uh, getting your number retired with the wing. Well, that, that meant uh, an awful lot to me. And really, I, I didn't want to leave 
Philadelphia, you know, all the years that I was there, I just, I, I loved the city, the fans. We had a great relationship. You know, they appreciated the team and um, I, my teammates had some really good friends on the team. And my, my father ended up getting ill and uh, he was getting on in age. He had, he had MS and we had a coach uh, in 05. He was a Canadian coach the first time they flew in. Uh, a Canadian coach to coach our team. And he was another one of these guys that liked to have late night practices the night before a game and then shoot around the morning of. So our team in, in 2005, we had a good team, great bunch of guys that didn't, didn't like the coaching staff. And uh, again, it was, it felt more like a job for me in Philly. And then with my dad getting sick, uh, a buddy of mine, uh, Marty O'Neill, he played goal many years in the NLL and MILL. He told me, listen, hey, they're going to put a team. They're expanding. I think Colorado is one of the teams and Portland was the other. Portland being closer to home, you know, it's a seven-hour seven drive. If you don't mind highway driving. So I, you know, I considered both cities. I knew Govett in Colorado and uh, I was leaning almost, I almost went to Colorado. But uh, my buddy, Marty O'Neill, talked me into going to, to call uh, to the Portland Lumberjacks, and I'm glad I did. Like I said, Angela was a phenomenal owner. I loved playing for her. And uh, so when my career was over there and having my number retired in Philadelphia, it was a nice cap to my to, to everything. You know, it's a, it was good closure. Mm-hmm. No, that's great. And uh, I want to deviate a little bit from, you know, your accolades and talk about uh, today the goalie equipment is, you know, a little bit bigger than what it was when you were playing. Um, what are your thoughts on today's goalie equipment and, you know, how these goalies play in comparison to, you know, how you played? Well, you know, the goalie equipment is, uh, there was a time, I want to say the early 2000s maybe, uh, where they brought in, uh, they formed the goaltending committee because it was getting ridiculous. Uh, some of the guys – in the early 2000s, I won't mention the <laughs> names, but they had they had the thigh pads because all most of the goalie equipment was makeshift. You had to piece together ice hockey goalie gear, mm-hmm. add padding to this part of the arm or that part of the arm. And there was a goalie that played. He had thigh pads from ice hockey goalie pants. Now you know how wide ice hockey goalie pants are. Yeah, he had thigh pads strung up. He had string tied to his arms, so when he lifted his arm, his jersey was big enough. So when he lifted his arm, the thigh pad would drop off of his arm, and he'd fill his whole his whole armpit became you know a stopping surface, mm-hmm. a blocking surface. So the the padding in the early two thousands was pretty big. Some of the guys really took advantage of it. But uh, that being said, today's gear, I think they could pare it back still back to to the 90s because you know with the advance of of plastics and foams all of that stuff is so much harder and tougher and Mm -hmm. and it isn't what it used to be it's all it's all very light now Mm -hmm. and uh, the gear that i see like the leg guards you know the leg pads i think that the goalies are using are only uh, a couple inches uh, narrower than than the leg pads in ice hockey Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's not the game. I mean, the yeah. goalies 
should be wearing shin guards that bat catchers wear in baseball. You know, if, if yeah. you're talking about protecting your legs, that's all you need. Yeah. So, that's kind of a moot point. I, I mm-hmm. you know, I, I don't want to, I, I appreciate what the goalies are doing in, in the game today with the gear that they have. You know, I think the goalie gear could be smaller. Something else that bothers me an awful lot is how guys – have the shafts of their goalie stick taped up. And I, what is that all about? Sure. <laughs> Filling up the whole five hole. Yeah, for crying out loud, just put a little bit of tape. If it's a gauge for where you want to hold your stick, I get it. But putting a, wrapping a pool noodle around the shaft of your stick, you're making a lacrosse, box lacrosse goalie stick like the paddle of an ice hockey goalie. Sure. But that's not right. Yeah. And you're kind of working uh, – with with future goalies now with with us box so talk a little bit about uh kind of that transition to the coaching obviously you had a couple stints on the sidelines in the nll but talk about working uh with some young goalies particularly in the u.s well it's it's very exciting uh you know i coached kids when i was younger back in canada and uh now being an adult and seeing where the game is at today and uh Young American kids are like sponges. They really want to learn. Uh, and being having access to them when they're in their formative years, I know that I can make them into, into good goalkeepers. You know, I, I know I can make them uh, move and make saves and track balls rather than just pile on a bunch of gear and stand back in the net. Because there are a lot of kids that do that, you know, and, and – you can't blame them because they watch a lot of the pro teams and the majority of the the guys in pro are pretty big guys, right? So they fill up the net and being a younger goalie, you should be able to move around in there. Some of the gear again is is just so big goalies. Some of the kids, they can't wipe the sweat out of their eyes when they're sweating during a game. So it's, it's really exciting working with the younger kids and hopefully being able to leave a stamp on them. So when they grow up, they can say, Hey, this is who taught me this. And I know I can make this save because of that. So it's, it's very exciting. I know it's right. I tend to ramble a little bit. No, that's great. Yeah, fun. Um, this is a podcast. We, we have all the time you, you want to spend. So it's great. No, and I, I just to fi- final, uh, just to wrap up our main questions, uh, talk to us a little bit about, you know, you started the YouTube page, HOF netminder 35. Um, that's your YouTube channel that has a lot of those old games. Um, and then your Instagram is God of Goaltending. Uh, what made you start those social platforms? And, uh, you know, how have you found people react to your, uh, you know, your posts on social media as well as your videos? Well, the, the YouTube channel, honestly, that was just a means for me to get – I all the years I played, I was big on video all about watching video you know you can learn so much from watching yourself and you watch the other teams and their shooters so i had tupperware bins filled with game films going back you know to my canadian days and thinking to myself what am i going to do with this it isn't doing me any good just sitting in the basement i need to digitize it and get it out there so i mean initially it was project just to get old game film out there so people could see Mm-hmm. See the old games. See, <laughs> see what old Canadian box across was back when they used wooden sticks and we played in sweltering, sweltering arenas with no one in the stands. You know, it, uh, it was a bit of a difference. And then the, the uh, 
Instagram account initially, a couple of teammates of mine on the Lumberjacks uh, called me the god of goaltending. So when I started the account, I was looking at all the different different goalie accounts, and I thought, I'll go with that. And I mean, now I'm thinking about it, and that people that don't know me might think, oh, he's pretty full of himself. got a goaltending. I, that, I think your play, though, backs, backs it up. I think if you look at your career, I think, I think you earned that. I know, well, Adam, you're probably a god to Adam. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks very much. That initially was just, uh, just for fun to post old newspaper clippings and silly things, you know, that you see throughout the day in the lacrosse world. But after getting involved with U.S. Boxall, you know, kids are all over that stuff, right? Yeah. They, everyone has an Instagram account. So I started uh, – as I was transferring my older uh, VHS tape, uh, digitizing them, there were clips. I'd say, oh, this is a great clip. I'll throw that up on Instagram and throw in a few phrases. You know, this is what you can do for a high glove shot. And I found I was, I'm getting very good response. People are, you know, DMing me, what can I do for this? What can I do for that? So I hope to, I hope to grow my follower base by throwing up more informative uh, little coaching techniques, uh, you know, pros pro tips of dallas that sort of thing yeah that's perfect great um that kind of wraps up our main questions we're going to take a quick break uh but when we get back we'll go into our five and five segment before history is written it's played before it's frozen in time it's fought one shift at a time before it's etched in silver it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Today, I also want to talk to you about Design Tree. On our Design Tree store, we have several t-shirt designs like the Pro Lacrosse Talk tee I'm wearing today, our Blast Lacrosse shirt, Cross's Medicine shirt, and many more designs on the way. Design Tree is also home to hundreds of other t-shirt designs in the realm of sports and pop culture. To help support the podcast, please consider checking out our Design Tree store at dsgntree.com backslash pro-lacrosse-talk and grab a shirt today. So welcome back. Now it's time to go into our five and five. I'll start off, Dallas, with the lacrosse questions. Um, And as a goalie, I'm guessing you probably had a few uh, superstitions in your career. So what were some of your pregame superstitions and routines? All right, I know this is going to gross you out, but I I used to wear a turtleneck under my gear, and it was uh, I wore a turtleneck because of all the straps and uh, appendages that rub you up around the neck. You you would you know about that, right? I mean, if you played box at all, Adam, you know the gear is all around the neck. So I wore a turtleneck to cut down on the abrasion. Well, I if we I had a good game, I'd throw the turtleneck in the bag. Bring it up next game. You know, I, I did not wash it until I'd lose a game. And it was all part of the sports psychology, you know, the wiping the slate clean. So if I played poorly or we lost the game, it went into the wash. So one of my superstitions was I wouldn't wash my turtleneck unless we lost a game. Great. Yeah, your infamous uh, headshots with the turtleneck are, are great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, guys would ask me, why are you wear the turtleneck? Why are you wear the turtleneck? I just, it was because it was far more comfortable for me to wear a turtleneck than to not. There we go. Very practical, yeah. Uh, number two, what has been your favorite venue to play lacrosse at? Favorite venue, the Spectrum was was tough to beat. When when we were successful in the Spectrum, 
man, the, when the fans would cheer, I mean, the whole building, you could feel the building shake. Yep. Mm-hmm. It was, it was an, a phenomenal experience. You know, if I had the hindsight back then, it would have been, would have been great to have a camera crew follow you around for just a game in and out of the tunnel yeah. and listening to it all. But yeah, the, the old Philadelphia spectrum, you know, a lot of that, the atmosphere, uh, in today's arenas, you don't have it because all of the seated areas are lit, you know, and it's for the building for protection. So no one trips or falls in the dark back in the old days. <laughs> here I am dating myself, but in those old arenas, the only surface that was lit was the floor and the, and the crowd was kind of dark and it was, it was a great atmosphere. It was like being on a stage. So the Philadelphia spectrum was, was by far my favorite to play in. I mean, there were other arenas that had great tradition, mm-hmm. you know, like Boston gardens was kind of cool. And then the Buffalo odd was very violent and brutal, but uh, my favorite, <laughs> favorite building would be the spectrum. Awesome. And then uh, number three, uh, what was your toughest matchup during your career? Like, who was one of the the players that always seemed to maybe, you know, give you the toughest time in net? Ooh, you know, there were guys, uh, that is a tough question. All the the top guys, all the top guns gave me trouble. Probably Paul Gate, uh, first and foremost, Mm -hmm. because he wouldn't fake as much. He'd pick a shot and bury it. And he had the, the strength and velocity behind the shot. Uh, there are other guys. I mean, I can't answer your question without saying Gary or John Tavares, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tavares is lethal with his stick. He's like a magician. And fortunately, I played with Tom Marichek, so I didn't have to face him. But he was someone that I, I was grateful I didn't have to face. Mm-hmm. No, that, uh, those are some great names right there. Um, and then going off of that, too, so you played for four championship teams in the NLL, MILL. Uh, if you could go back and play with one of those teams again, which one would it be? Oh, man. <laughs> for different reasons, you know, there's different reasons. The guys that I want to say the maybe the 95, 94 team, 94, 95, I guess. It's just because the guys, we were all local. Mm-hmm. And it was was a great experience. You know, we socialized together. We were just a very close-knit group. That's awesome. And then my my final one for the lacrosse ones are, who is a player or coach that you leaned on as a mentor during your career? Easily. That would be Dave Evans was uh, for a long time. Mm -hmm. He was was a guy that I admired watching. Uh, He played. He was very – very dramatic in his, his, you know, every save he made was a Sports Illustrated cover. Mm-hmm. He was a guy I kind of patterned myself after. So, yeah, he would be the coach for sure. Awesome. Yeah, no, you mentioned, too, he had, uh, you know, influence on you to, to go out to Portland as well. Um, but, yeah, that, that's the lacrosse questions. Now we'll get into some interesting off-the-field questions, Adam. I'm curious with this one. I know uh, you have some interest in art. So what's uh, some hobbies or activities uh, you enjoy when you're not coaching or, or when you weren't playing? Well, I, uh, I grew up, art, art was my first kind of first and foremost love as a, as a young boy. You know, I collected comic books thanks to my dad and mom picking up Batman and Spider-Man issues for me. So I used to, there was a time where I wanted to be a comic book illustrator. Now those guys are just, they're just so good. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. But I, I, like, I like to draw a little bit with my son. I, I uh, make enamel pins. Uh, um, I, just, I like the superhero genre, so that those are my favorite things to draw. That's great. Batman's your favorite? Yeah, clearly Batman and, uh, and, and then Spider-Man. There we go. I'm a Spider-Man fan. Yeah, absolutely. Mine, yeah. Number two, uh, who is a non-lacrosse athlete currently or from the past you, you think would have excelled in the box game? Ooh. An, uh, an athlete from another sport that would have excelled in the box game. Jeez. <laughs> You know, I, I honestly, I couldn't give you a, a, a true answer. I really, I don't know. <laughs> There's just, I mean, so many different football players that, oh, oh man. Yeah, I, probably Michael Jordan. Sure. Yeah, because of his size and his, you know, he could move. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, Didn't we, uh, do very well playing baseball. Who knows? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? We, we yeah. got that answer. We got that. We got Michael Jordan a few times. I mean, if. Like you said, if he could play baseball even remotely well, I'm sure he could pick up a stick in a couple months and and, and play pretty well, right? I think Dominic Hasek would have been a good box across goalie. I uh, I think the same thing. To be honest with you, uh, I I wore 37 my freshman year of college because you were 35 and Hasek was 39. So I I figured go right in between uh, 35 and 39. So he he was my other favorite goalie. So I would have to agree with with the Dominator. Very cool, yeah. I played hockey for many years in Canada growing up, and when I stopped, I just hung him up, and, you know, I don't miss it. But he would, if he was playing, his team was playing, it would give me a reason to watch it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there's your answer. Dominic Hasek. Perfect. <laughs> that, that's the perfect answer for me. That me. really that really is. <laughs> Adam, literally, you and uh, Hasek are Adam's two favorite goaltenders. He, uh, he talks about you talk about it all the time. Perfect so, answer. Yeah. Uh, number three. Uh, favorite place to go on vacation with your family? Um, probably Maui. Okay. Why? Yeah. For sure. I love the beaches. Love the sun. There Just we go. Nice, uh, swimming with the sea turtles. You know all that stuff. Being one with the earth. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's perfect. Uh, number four. What is your favorite meal, and do you prefer to take out or cook at home? Ooh, my favorite meal. You know, I'm fortunate. My wife is a, a phenomenal cook. So, geez, I have to be careful. I, I love, uh, she makes a special prawn dish that I really enjoy. I, I don't even know what it's, what it's called, but I, I'm, I lean towards seafood. I like prawns, uh, white fish, just Anything, anything seafood, uh, I'm a big fan of. Not, not, cook, not cooked oysters. I won't eat cooked oysters, but I love our oysters, yeah. Perfect. Um, and number five, uh, I'm curious your answer to this one. You know, uh, what's, a fav- what you, what's a book you'd recommend uh, to someone currently that you've read or are reading? And then we're adding a second part to this uh, in quarantine. People have been watching a lot. So what's a movie or, or show you've also been watching currently? Uh, the book, The Art of War. Awesome. That would be the book, and I'm currently... It's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> I've been watching the uh, first 
run of, of Godzilla movies with my son. Awesome. Uh, got him a uh, really cool book or box set of the original Toho, <laughs> Toho films, mm-hmm. the Toho Studios. Those are a lot of fun. Uh, watch, I watched some old, there's an old show called Party Down on Netflix. It's a bunch of, bunch of uh, Hollywood actors that are caterers and it's just what goes on behind the scenes and that, that's a fun show. That's a Marvel hell, right? Movies. I was a huge fan of uh, of the Marvel movies, of course, and I'm pretty excited to to see the uh, Zack Snyder Justice League. I'm looking forward to watching that release when that comes out next year, I guess. Yeah, the Snyder Cut. I was really surprised when I heard. I'm a big comic book movie guy myself, um, and everyone was pushing, like, we need the Snyder Cut, we need the Snyder Cut. And I, I was one of the doubters. I was like, it's not happening. It's never happening. And then they yeah. just recently announced it's going to be on HBO Max, I think. That's... I don't know. I was a doubter. It's it's crazy that they're going to be able to accomplish it, though. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching it, too. But I was a little bit let down by Justice League. But, you know, I think, you know, having Snyder having to step away with his family, um, I think that was probably what led it to be a little bit, you know, disheveled when it finally came out. But uh, I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah, me too. I've been from what I've heard, what I've read, uh, that Snyder's Justice League is completely different. I mean, the whole storyline it's it's not the justice league that that you or i have seen in the in the theater it's a it's pretty brutal apparently sorry go ahead uh, i'm always i've always been a big fan of snyder's visuals in his movies mm-hmm. so beautiful beautiful and epic his fight scenes are phenomenal that batman versus superman fight scene when in batman in the warehouse that one that was so yeah. Yep, and then 302 is another one. That yeah, there you go. Right, right, yeah. And a lot of people don't like him. I just, i all about the visuals. I love his storytelling through the visuals. Yeah. Well, that wraps up our, our uh, five and five. We'd like to end on one final question that we pose to all our guests, and that's what is some advice that you have for a young player looking to one, play, one day play lacrosse professionally? Uh don't compare yourself to others, you know, uh, do the best that you can be, uh, mm-hmm. be the best that you can be. Uh, I believe because I'm a goalie, you know, it's kind of a, a wide spectrum statement to make, do this, do that. I would just say, if you can see the ball, you can stop it. That's, that's the mentality I had from an early age. And I still to this day believe it. No, I love that. That's it's simple and to the point. And um, I think that we try to overcomplicate things sometimes when we're coaching young kids. And I think that's a, a good answer to just remember to, you know, again, be yourself and kind of find your own strength. So I appreciate that advice. And uh, we appreciate you joining us. I know we've been itching to have you on and finally have you on is great for both of us, but especially for Adam. I know I keep harping on it, but he really is a huge super fan and I know he's trying to downplay it, but uh, he's grinning from ear to ear right now. <laughs> oh, well, like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of you guys. I follow you and listen to your stuff and it's uh, I'm really honored to be on and it was nice talking with you both. Uh, and uh, thanks very much. No, yeah, of course we, uh, you know, we want to try to get more former players on as well because, you know, we're all, we're covering the current, you know, pro landscape, but to us too, it's about the history. I mean, we, we grew up watching Adam was more of a box fan than I was, but we grew up watching, you know, our favorite players and, 
you know, we think that there's a lot of history out there. I think your accounts are doing great work on social media, um, but there's a lot of history out there that kind of needs to still be told. Um, and we need to remember, you know, that our, our past uh, in pro lacrosse, because it has a rich history that sometimes gets overlooked by, you know, new fans. So it's kind of our way of giving back to the new fans, as well as, you know, it's some guilty pleasures for ourselves too, because we get to talk to people like yourself. Well, I think that's, that's fantastic what you're doing. And, you know, you, you made a very good point, and I laugh about this because <laughs> people don't know me. A lot of the kids, you know, that I'm teaching, they have no idea who I am. And I remember going to a uh, men's senior A game up in Canada as a spectator to watch, you know, Dave Evans play goal. And, and for the opening faceoff, they'd wheel some guy out in a wheelchair, you know, and say, oh, the greatest player to play for the newest Minster Salmon Bellies. You know, as a spectator, a huge fan of the game, I didn't care that he was being wheeled out there. I didn't know who he was, and I didn't care. But, you know, if I had access to, to video of when he played, that would be far more interesting. So, you know, having – throwing up the old game film and this bu- a bunch of Gary Gayton, uh, Tom Marichuk, John Tavares, uh, John Grant Jr., all – all those guys playing in their prime, you know, it's all up on my YouTube channel. Great stuff. It's great stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I recommend everybody who's listening to this to check it out. I know I've checked out a lot recently. Um, Adam's been, you know, watching your stuff for a while now, but yeah, I mean, I watched that, uh, the, the 2001 championship. Um, and you know, again, it's like, that's just a classic game, like a thriller of a lacrosse game. And it's, it's lacrosse still, you know, it happened what now nearly 20 years ago, but it's still lacrosse that everyone knows and loves. So yeah, I definitely recommend everyone check that out. Um, but Dallas, this has been great. We really appreciate you coming on and uh, look forward to, you know, more of your social media posts and uh, more of those videos as well. Yeah. Thanks for having me on guys. And I'm also, we'll be starting with review. That's a uh, platform, a coaching app. I don't know if you've heard of it. I did hear of it actually. I just saw somewhere, um, I think U.S. Lacrosse had an article on review or whatever. So, yeah, definitely, guys, check out uh, HOF Netminder 35 on YouTube and then God of Goaltending on Instagram. Uh, like Dallas said, you know, reach out to him. Uh, and now that he's on review, too, you can use that platform as well. But, yeah, Dallas, we, we really appreciate you coming on. My pleasure. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great weekend. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Today, I also want to talk to you about Phoenix Supplements. I started using Phoenix Supplements after searching for a supplement brand that didn't use any unnecessary additives. Phoenix's line of supplements use only the required ingredients and is free of any fillers that many supplement companies use. Not only that, but their supplements are produced here in the U.S. in an FDA-regulated facility, and the best part is they taste really good. I personally like using the Orange Dreamsicle Protein Blend in the morning, and I use their Chocolate Whey following workouts. So if you're interested in trying Phoenix Supplements, visit their website fnxfit.com and use the code PROLACROSS to receive 15% off your order today.